This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Iowa Agriculture Secretary Bill Northey. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS Inc. is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. CHS is diversified in energy, grains, and foods and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. More with Iowa Ag Secretary Bill Northey next here on Open Mic. What does it mean to be relevant in today's global agriculture marketplace? To CHS, it means having the people and facilities in place to deliver U.S. grain to a feedlot in South Korea or investing in energy production and distribution to help ensure dependable fuel supplies for our local communities. In fact, we've invested more than $1.4 billion on our owner's behalf to make sure we stay relevant now and into the future. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Iowa agriculture is enduring a dramatic shift in net farm income. In the middle of a cyclical shift in bulk commodity prices, the state was hit with a record-setting animal health emergency. Iowa Agriculture Secretary Bill Northey says avian influenza has claimed 40% of the state's laying hens and nearly 30% of the turkey flock. Northey says state and federal response to the issue was as good as could be expected. We have 100 USDA, mostly PhDs, that are here that are helping, um, and they're animal health professionals that are helping uh, at our 77 sites uh, that are out here. That are We've got about 2,000 contractors uh, that USDA has contracted with to help hold birds out of cages and help haul uh, these these birds to to landfills or helping the the burying process and the disinfection process. The state we've uh, we've incurred a lot of a lot of overtime. We borrowed folks from other agencies in state government, from other states as well, uh, to be involved. But this came on so quickly um, that we went from one case to 23 cases in one week um, in about three weeks. And uh, and there was a stage there that we were getting cases faster than we could put birds down. Um, I think we've learned certainly that we've got to have more resources. Uh, and a lot of folks are planning for that this fall, even certainly outside the Midwest, in in planning for the resources to be able to put these birds down faster, uh, to be able to dispose of them quicker, to lessen the amount of virus that's out there to increase the biosecurity between our farms. Uh, we certainly think that uh, in some cases the disease was delivered by wild birds themselves, but in other cases it may have gone from one positive farm to another, maybe by via people, maybe via trucks, whether it's feed trucks or other trucks that were moving around, maybe even by air uh, from one facility to another. So some of those lessons uh, are going to, be learned and, and shared in the series of meetings that are occurring over the next month to talk about biosecurity, to bring the international community together around avian influenza, and then to have a meeting that, that specifically looks at preparing for this fall, where do our resources need to be um, so that we can respond even better the next time around to lessen the number of cases that we have. Dr. Clifford shared this spring that this could be a two- or three-year event. Is that still the mode of thinking? You know, it is. And, and again, it's a, 
it's a guess because none of us know what this disease looks like when it comes back uh, in the wild birds. These wild birds don't get sick, but they come back and give it to our domestic birds, our turkeys and our chickens. Um, but we don't know if it will come back in the same way or not, but it certainly could. And that's the preparation, the discussion for this fall. Let's be ready uh, as those birds come back from their nesting areas that they could well expose our birds to the same kind of virus uh, that is as devastating, and we need to be ready for that situation this fall. And then we need to be maybe even more ready next spring uh, with the full knowledge that it could have mutated in a way that it doesn't affect these birds or, or that it's worse somehow. I'm not sure exactly how it's worse, but it could be. Um, so that mutation may change it but it sure has the possibility of, of being something on everybody's radar the next uh, two or three years. Talking about issues in Washington, uh, Secretary Northey, how do you see this debate over trade, um, finding the opportunity to bring Trade Promotion Authority to this administration to negotiate trade deals, uh, to see trade deals approved in Washington? How do you view uh, the activity and how important that this be concluded? Well, I've been kind of disappointed with some of the conversation and certainly with some from hesitation in some of the votes in support of Trade Adjustment Act and, and TPA, um, Trade Promotion Authority. Um, still hopeful uh, that that gets concluded and that we have a chance of being able to have a, a TPP voted on. It's a big deal for all of agriculture, certainly a big deal for Iowa agriculture. Uh, we, we export uh, around $2 billion worth of pork a year out of Iowa, big exports of corn and soybeans. Uh, we need to open up some of these markets. And, and, and even if we don't, we will operate in a world where others will have free trade agreements that will put us in a worse position than we are right now. Uh, if we don't uh, have better trade agreements with with some of these countries that are going to grow, going to be great markets and need our product. Uh, so I sure hope that clear heads prevail, uh, whether the folks support the president or not, or whether the folks are concerned about loss of jobs or not, that they realize that at the end of the day, we need to trade. We need a place for our ag products to go. Uh, and that it may not be perfect, but it's the right thing to do. What happens to your state if you're not a part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership or other global trade deals? Well, I think there's some real challenges. Uh, we we have a lot of pork produ- production in Iowa. Maybe 30% of all the pork production in the United States. Um, as I said, we export maybe $2 billion worth of pork a year. One of those big markets is Japan. Uh, and we have some struggles with some of the rules, a gate price that's in Japan, um, some, some limitations in the amount of pork that can go. But giving up this trade deal is not just about that um, staying in place. It is about other countries that are signing free trade agreements and have signed already free trade agreements with Japan. And I was with some pork producers and corn growers last night who said this would be devastating for us in our competitive ability to compete against the European Union and other parts of South America with uh, or in Japan for those markets if we did 
not have uh, the TPP pass. In the Senate, a vote is pending at some point following a hearing from the Agriculture Committee on what to do with mandatory cool labeling. The Canadians suggest we are out of time and out of options, and retaliation is imminent unless that law is fully repealed. You're pretty close to Canada, and there's a lot of uh, trade between your states and our neighbor to the north. There is a lot of trade, and certainly some of the things that they've cited as uh, um, retaliation would directly impact us, and, and I think that's exactly why they they choose these and maybe even rotate what the retaliation is to make sure that there's a lot of pain caused. Generally, our industries have said, um, you know, the, the cost of cool both in noncompliance um, and an additional cost in marketing um, has been greater than what the benefits to cool would be. And so our folks have said we, we already – We've lost now three times in appeals uh, on each of those. It is time to either figure out a way to make it work or at least get it rescinded. And uh, so it's important that we comply with WTO. We ask others to. Uh, we need a set of laws, and WTO has found that this has not been compliant, and it's time to move on. And uh, we certainly don't want to get to a place where we start a trade war over something that, that is not compliant with WTO when, when we need their support and we certainly need their authority in other cases. Renewable fuel is important to Iowa, and uh, your state has been in limbo for a period of time waiting for a final volume output statement under the RFS by the EPA. How has the waiting game affected your state? You know, it's a big deal. We produce more ethanol than any other state. Uh, generally, I believe more biodiesel as well. Um, and uh, it has really limited the growth. Now, for the most part, our ethanol plants have kept in business, uh, still operate. Uh, we went through a little hesitation when we had some some higher prices of, of uh, the corn uh, going into our ethanol plants. But right now, our plants are operating. But we're producing ethanol for less than the price of gasoline, significantly less than the price of gasoline. We should be seeing that market grow. And and what the RFS is set up to do is to increase the incentive for folks to put in pumps that allow choices for consumers. And we're seeing less E15 than we should be seeing. We're seeing less growth in, than in E85 than we should be seeing. And an appropriate um volumetric number would give the kind of incentive that would reward those that are willing to invest and would provide RINs for those that are not willing to invest and provide choices for uh, consumers. So we have lost opportunities. We've not seen that market shrink um, other than on the biodiesel side, and we have there. Um, when you look at both the RFS numbers um, and the dollar-gallon tax credit uh, uncertainty that, again, comes in and gets added often at the end of the year. Um, but there's a lot at stake, including the future opportunity to be able to grow this market like everyone would realize markets suggest it should grow, but limitations uh, from oil producing others and the uncertainty here is not encouraging that growth.
What are your thoughts or your evaluation of the EPA's revised proposed rule for their clean water rules of, of what would be a water of the U.S.? They've, they've revised it. How do you see it? You know, I, it was just terrible the first time around. The Waters of the U.S. was just a disastrous proposal. I think it's not quite as disastrous as it once was. I think it should have come out as a revised um, proposal that would allow us to comment on it and fix some of the problems that we think we see right now. Everybody's still analyzing. I, I think there's a whole segment there on tributaries. Uh, and significant nexus that creates an awful lot of questions that I suppose will probably in the end be settled by courts, will create uncertainty until that time. We're concerned that that it could even impact conservation practices going on land because people are worried about creating a new waters of the U.S. that therefore then connects to other waters that they have on the farm that could require them to have to go through a permitting process. So so I think they took some of the worst parts out, but they left some uncertainty that I wish we could comment on and get changed um, and have a final rule another stage down the road because I whether intended or unintended, um, I think there's some negative pieces to the proposal that came out. Bill, I want to turn to one last question as we close then. Uh, obviously, any candidate that seeks the keys to the White House in 2016 will pass through Iowa. You are one, and there are others in your state that are sought after to, to give counsel or to give observation of the industry. What do you note of the candidates that are coming to the state and are they truly talking the issues that's important to, to farmers and to rural America? You know, I, I think to a little degree they are. I think we had an ag summit that was that took place in Iowa a little bit earlier that caused them to kind of bone up on some of those ag issues uh, to some degree. Uh, I think some of them aren't very comfortable in the ag arena very much because their state isn't as involved and they're a little nervous about... Uh, ethanol issue or or animal care issue or GMOs or something like that but but for the most part they're talking issues that matter to farmers I think um, I I, I want to always make sure that they don't have to pretend that they they understand agriculture inside and out but let's talk about you know how regulation impacts small business including farmers let's talk about how Trade is an opportunity for all islands and others across the country to have jobs, including agriculture. And I think there's a way to talk about big issues that's inclusive of the agricultural impact um, that doesn't have to be a pandering of any way to farmers and doesn't have to be uh, a, a phenomenal insight, and they don't have to spend a you know, a college course trying to understand agriculture, but but they should understand how farmers think and some of these issues that are specific. And if they can demonstrate that, frankly, to me, somebody demonstrates they've worked hard to understand issues that matter to Iowans, whether that's rural health care or, or whether that's trade policy in agriculture or GMOs, then I'm thinking they're probably working hard to understanding, you know, fracking and pipeline issues and 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 health care across the country so if they're showing that they've done their homework uh, i think that's a good message not only 
for agriculture, but for Iowans and, and others across the country. Well, as an ambassador for the industry, a blanket statement to any candidate that comes, and for those who will be watching those candidates determining how to cast their vote, what are the things they ought to talk about? You know, I, I think they ought to talk um, certainly about the vision issues. In, in Iowa, um, you know, we have some very specific issues to agriculture. It's certainly renewable fuels and, and a promise that has been made uh, to agriculture to be able to, to grow that industry and the RFS. I think that's important. But, but let's talk uh, the relationship of government to agriculture and and where it should be to help create opportunities. Let's talk a vision of the future that isn't isn't government trying to tell everybody how to farm precisely to to fix water quality issues or to uh, produce in a certain way, but provide the opportunity for for folks to innovate and. And, uh, bring new products to market and, and increase efficiencies. And I think those are messages that are directly at agriculture, but are also issues that, that others care about. And whether they understand the difference between corn or soybeans, they care about a government that has a vision of providing opportunity for folks to be successful in their businesses. Some have observed that perhaps agriculture doesn't have the clout in Washington that it did. So I don't expect a candidate to talk about agriculture in New Hampshire, but you certainly would hope that they would talk about agriculture in Iowa. I would, too. Um, you know, I think certainly ag folks are just like everybody else. They care about ag issues, but they care about lots of other issues. And so they care about a balanced budget, and they care about foreign policy. And so in some cases, I've seen some candidates get away without talking about agriculture because they're talking about those other issues that that ag people also care about and can make decisions. But but ag is very important here, and ag can be a bellwether for the attitude a candidate has towards the role of government and and how they feel that federal government should relate to state government and what regulations ought to be. So I think it can be I, – I think it can set a candidate apart if they can articulate those things without without pandering, without appearing – just to try and check a box someplace. But tell me how you think and why you think it's important uh, that people are able to innovate and bring new products to market. Bill Norther, we thank you so much for your time and spending with us here on AgriPulse Open Mike, Sir, the floor is yours. Well, thank you uh, for the chance to be able to talk. And I, I just think the future of agriculture is very, very bright. I was with some FFA kids actually yesterday, and and you look out there and you see the bright eyes, and they had been flying some UAVs earlier in the day, and we are talking water quality, and we are talking trade. And, and uh, in spite of all the challenges that we have, uh, the future is bright. If, if government doesn't get in the way and government's there to help when it needs to be, uh, we need to engage in these issues. Uh, but uh, we got some bright folks that are coming and, and uh, a lot of opportunity to be success here in agriculture for this next generation. Our thanks to this week's guest, Iowa Agriculture Secretary Bill Northey. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc., a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.